Welcome back to Between the Levies. I was talking actually to a new uh, a new fan of the show on LinkedIn about two weeks ago, and he introduced me to an individual in the following manner, and I quote, I met a very articulate and interesting gay captain about a week ago. Great guy and a very professional towboater. He'd be great to have on the show if you ever get that far into it. I'd like to welcome Captain Brandon Phillips to the show, as I am indeed that far into it. Brandon, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Well, we've got a an, about a 20-year career to talk through. Um, but tell me first, um, <clears throat> I've not had at least any openly gay individuals on the show yet. I remember, I think in second grade, I was six. Got my first crush on a female. I knew then, of course, my orientation. Was there any moment in time that, that that you remember when you realized, well, wait a minute, I'm maybe a little bit different than all these other people? And when you realize that, hey, I'm I'm attracted to the same sex. Um, I think I've always had um an idea that there was something different about me. I don't think that I necessarily knew what that difference was. Um, I would say uh, when I was probably seven, seven or eight, I uh, um, I think I had my first attraction towards um, a young man that I was friends with. So roughly the same developmental phase as, as any other child. Well, tell me about your childhood. Where were you born? What did your parents do? What led you eventually to the industry? Um, I was born in Peoria, Illinois. I grew up in Washington, Illinois, which is across the river from Peoria. Um, my dad was a, a welder, later on became a truck driver. Uh, my mom worked in all kinds of different things. She did uh, a lot of management and uh, eventually healthcare, specializing in autism and uh, um, and uh, shoot, I'm having a blank. And it's the Alzheimer's. That's uh, that's the other thing she worked on. So uh, I have two older brothers and an older sister. I'm the baby of the family. Um, you know, uh, just grew up in Washington mostly. Uh, family was close. Uh, I, um, most of my childhood, I wanted to be a cop. That was what I eventually went to school for. Um, in high school, I... Uh, Towards my senior year there, I went to work for a casino boat there in Peoria, and I, uh, I worked there as a, a valet until I was old enough to actually work on the boat, and uh, once I got on the boat, was a deckhand, uh, did that for about a year, was a, uh, uh, an engineer for a short period of time, about two years, uh, left there, and uh, got tired of working on the boat that didn't go anywhere. So it's kind of kind of boring, but uh, it was a good job. I had a lot of fun there. Um, I later on moved on to a fleeting uh, company and worked on. Uh, I started out as a barge sweeper, uh, did a little bit of barge maintenance, then uh, eventually became a deckhand. Uh, that particular fleet, we uh, kind of did everything. So I was still a barge sweeper, even though I was a deckhand. So uh, later on, moved on to what we call shuttle boats, just running from Peoria to Lamont and uh, doing sand runs and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I, I thought about, uh, you know, 
changing careers. Um, I'd been going to school for law enforcement and fire science. Um, I was a volunteer firefighter, worked for uh, county emergency management agency, did a, did a lot of different things. I've never really done just one job. I mean, the entire time I've worked on towboats, I've, I've always had another job at home. So um, eventually went out to line boats, uh, you know, um, decked for about 10 years. Um, worked my way up. Um, I've been on the lower, been on the upper, been on the Arkansas, the Ohio, a uh, bunch of different rivers, um, just doing odds and end things. If there's ever something I wanted to try, I did it. So I didn't always like it, didn't always stick with it. But Well, if I may, how did your sexual orientation play into your upbringing? Any challenges at school, socially? Um, and then, of course, touching on branching into the industry, how did you find your way onto that casino boat? Uh, so... In school, um, I wasn't out. Um, I never intended to be out. Um, I did eventually come out my senior year at prom. Um, that was a mistake uh, in the sense that uh, it was very liberating. It felt good uh, to actually not have to hide who I was. Uh, but the, the ass kickings after the, after the fact were, were not fun. So, um, but, you know, I mean, it's just different time and, and people tend to be afraid of what they don't understand. So um, the casino was hiring. Um, I want to say I had a, a friend that worked in Valet and, and it suggested that, that it'd be a good, uh, good job. At the time, I think I was working at a fast food joint and I was hating it. I uh, uh, wanted something different. Um, so I had no intentions of, of really uh, working on a boat in general. You know, I mean, that, that is just kind of something that fell into my lap. Um, when I worked there, at, uh, the casino, it was, uh, um, I was, I was out there um, just because I knew people that worked there that knew me. There was no way for me to hide it. You know, everybody knew. So um, I really liked it. Um, they, they treated me very well. It was a, a a, re a really fun job um through that job i i kind of i wasn't sure whether i wanted to continue to pursue uh, law enforcement or firefighting um i was actually thinking about going to work in the ocean and i thought you know maybe one of these days after i get to where i'm i'm good enough and i got enough sea time to get my my uh q med or my uh my ab special i i figured okay well maybe i'll go try the ocean out. And that's kind of how my career progressed. You know, I went to work on the tugs because I thought, okay, well, this will give me more deck time. It'll help towards my license. Um, when I did the line haul thing, you know, it was kind of a, if I do this, then, you know, if I can handle living on a boat for 30 days and I can land, you know, I could handle living on a, uh, on an ocean going boat for up to four or six months. Um, unfortunately, the the river industry is uh, sometimes like a black hole. You know, you kind of get sucked into it and you can't get out of it. Uh, not, not necessarily in a bad way. Um, you know, I, uh, you know, my dream was to be a cop and I never, ever imagined that I would ever want to be anything else. And, uh, you know, after, after several years of working in the industry, I just, there's not anything else I'd rather do. I imagine you make a little bit more money than you would have as a cop with a different kind of stress. 
Yeah. So, um, I did eventually get all the certifications and, and stuff that I needed to go into, uh, law enforcement and firefighting. And, uh, there was an opening with the state fire marshal's office as an arson investigator. And I had applied for that. And, uh, <laughs> I, um, I got the job, uh, but it was $36,000 a year. And I was already making 60 as a deckhand. And I, I, uh, I had to, had to weigh those choices, you know, uh, be financially secure, or take the dream job, you know, and, come to find out later on that um, most of the most of the arson investigators for a state fire marshal's office are all retired firefighters and that's why they can afford to do that job so uh, anyways I obviously chose financial security uh, and in the long run I chose what I what I feel it'd be is, is happiness um, you know I mean I have a wonderful job with a wonderful crew and uh, you know I have the ability to see the sunrise and sunset just about every day uh, I see some pretty crazy stuff on the river, and and it's it's always interesting. Well, I know you said you've run on just about every river. What uh, where do you run now, and what what horsepower boat? What kind of tow are you shoving? Um, so on the upper I push fifteen. Uh, on the lower I can push up to twenty five. I'm on a fifty six hundred horsepower uh, jet boat. Um, I run uh, pretty much uh, the upper, the Ohio, the Illinois River, and occasionally on on the lower. Uh, in the past, we've run the Arkansas River. Uh, I really like the Arkansas River. It's it's a pretty river. Um, but uh, yeah, we run a little bit of a little bit everywhere. Uh, obviously, not on the inland waterways, but uh, you know, mainly the the western rivers. Any interesting stories uh, from every one of those rivers from from your time out there? Um. Well, uh, when I was on the, uh, the Arkansas river, I was, uh, I was a steersman and, uh, I, um, had been doing most of my steering from St. Louis to Cairo. And so I was very, uh, familiar with current and anybody that runs the Arkansas river knows that, uh, current is, uh, really only there when the water's up. Uh, it's, it's kind of a dead pool. Um, and that, that brings challenges when you, uh, even when you're northbound. So, um, one of the stories that my guys like to hear a lot is I'm, I'm big into talking about my mistakes. Cause I, I feel like that's the only way that we can learn and, and be better. And, uh, so one of the mistakes I made was not giving myself enough time to stop and in dead water, you know, you can knock it out of gear and float for a long time, especially with a bigger toe. And I can't remember if we had nine or 12, but we didn't have 15. I know that for sure. Cause that, that river's not, not the best one to run with 15, but, um, anyways, uh, there was a southbounder coming and I was going to a waiting spot and, uh, I, I knocked it out of gear and I mean, we we're just floating along, you know, probably four mile an hour. And, uh, it was right around watch change and the pilot comes up and, and, you know, he's looking out the windows, looking at what's going on. And he's like, you, uh, what are you doing? I was like, well, I'm going to be pulling over for a southbounder. Well, by this point I had allowed myself to get some point towards the bank, which was not a good idea. And, uh, he's like, don't you think you ought to start backing on this thing? And I was like, yeah, I guess. Yeah. And he's like, well, I, I'd start now if I were you. So I started backing on it Well, we we're faced up to boxes. And sometimes when you're faced up to boxes and you back hard on it, you can actually cause yourself to speed up a little bit. And that's kind of what happened. And nonetheless, I, I landed pretty hard on the bank there. 
and uh it was uh it was kind of stressful intense and uh, about that time the pilot he's like jesus look at them cows i think you hit a cow and i was like what and he hands me the binoculars i look out the window and there's just cows scattering just running wondering what the hell this barge is doing up in their field <laughs> so nonetheless it's kind of an embarrassing story but uh you know it's 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 what happens when you're learning i guess you know um it's uh <laughs> i don't know but you know they say it takes a million dollars to make a pilot thankfully i didn't break anything or damage anything but still you know that's uh it's a learning experience that's for sure so the toe didn't break up at all no i uh i think i only hit hit the bank at about a mile an hour it wasn't uh it was kind of a glancing blow. I was taking my stern in as I was back. And so that head was coming out all the time, but nonetheless, it still scared the cows. Yeah, did they all get away? Yes. Yes. We sent, uh, sent the mate out, checked the toe, checked to make sure we didn't, uh, didn't get any cows. So, um, there was actually, I believe a fence or something, uh, and we didn't even get close to it, but just the commotion alone kind of scared the cows probably woke them up, you know, it was probably 1130, 1145 at night. Anything interesting come to mind from time on the Illinois? Uh, <laughs> it's all kinds of things on the Illinois River. Um, you know, it's um, I remember my first time going up through Lockport Lock and Dam, and uh, my mate was was adamant. You know, it, it was a nice day out. He's adamant you wear a a rain suit and um, you know adamant that you take a shower after the lock. And mainly because the, uh, the canal up there, uh, back then and, and even way before I was even on deck was, uh, very polluted. Um, you know, they, uh, they had all kinds of nicknames for that. And, uh, you'd see all kinds of trash, some pretty nasty stuff floating in the river up there. And, um, it's funny cause, uh, they have a drop gate and the seals on it aren't the greatest. So, you know, that water be pouring out. And if you're on the head, you know, you're going to get soaked. And, um, we, uh, we shoved out of the lock and they used to have this big sign and, uh, it's, uh, blue and white. And it said, caution, water is not suitable for human contact. If exposed, call this number, you know, and I think they still have those signs up there. Um, although it's, uh, it's a lot cleaner now than, than, than it was back then. But, um, yeah, I, uh, I, you know, the, the fleet that I worked in up there, you know, it was, uh, it was busy. Um, you know, it's, it's funny looking at it today versus back then. I mean, uh, you, you had a whole lot more room in that stretch of the river and, uh, and it's, uh, it, it's amazing how, how much things will change over the years with, without maintenance and, uh, you know, how congested things get, uh, it, it's, uh, kind of funny how you see, you know, different fleets will be full of barges for, you know, five, 10 years or more. And, and then next thing you know, you know, they they don't have very many barges. They don't hold very many barges. They don't use very many of their fleets. And then, and then eventually it'll come back around and they'll, they'll be busy again, you know, just different areas and, and whatnot. So, um, but yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, I, I remember doing a transit, uh, we're taking a, a deck barge, uh, with a down to Peoria and, uh, we come through the McCluggage bridge. And from the time the McCluggage bridge to, uh, MacArthur, uh, 
uh, we, we had over 150, uh, Asian carp on the boat. I mean, they just beating the crap out of the boat, jumping on. And it was just, I, it was the first time I, you know, I'd always heard that they were an issue, you know, and up in the fleet that I worked in, you know, it, we had them, but they, they weren't that bad. And, uh, I think the following summer, uh, there was a news report of a, a gal that was on a jet ski and, uh, Asian carp had jumped up, knocked her unconscious and she had drowned. Yeah, that doesn't sound like a lot of fun. Um, no, I know very little about the upper. I'm sure I've had a guest or two on the show over the last 120 people I've interviewed. But uh, walk me through a trip from St. Paul to Cairo. Okay. Um, so generally speaking, um, you're going to uh, do tow work um, either above or below the Pig's Eye Bridge. Um the pig's eye bridge is not exactly set the best, best spot. Um, you know, you can go down through either span, uh, the shore span or the, uh, the upper span. Most people use a tug. Uh, a lot of the old timers will get through there without one. Um, you know, you come down through there and, uh, you know, you just got a lot of, a lot of tight, narrow turns, um, down to, uh, to lock two and, uh, you know, you get through, um, gray cloud and, and, and all that stuff, um, up there, you got, uh, freeborn islands, always kind of a, kind of a challenge. Um, used to, when I was on deck, you know, you'd, uh, was nothing to take 15 out of there, you know, and, and nowadays, you know, I, people still take 15 out, but it's not as common as it used to be. Um, come down through, uh, you know, lock two there, uh, that's in Hastings. Uh, you got a railroad bridge and a highway bridge right below it. So it'd be highway bridge, then railroad bridge. Um, and, uh, those can get hairy. Um, I usually in higher water will flank that the, the highway bridge sets me up better for the, the railroad bridge. I don't have to run as much of a race. Um, and come down around the corner to Prescott and then you just got a, a, a bunch of slow, slow turns down to, um, basically down to diamond Island there. Um, you make a right hand down and around the corner to uh, lock three, which is just North of Red Wing. Um, Red Wing can be kind of a bear. Um, the, the, the lock's not too bad. The lock's pretty easy. Um, but Red Wing, you know, it's, uh, you get a lot of recreational traffic there. And unfortunately, you know, everybody knows recreational boaters don't, don't know the rules as well as they ought to and don't abide by them, even if they did. So, um, it can be a challenge. Um, there's a lot of times, you know, I, I've steered around, um, Red Wing Bend plenty of times and I find the older I get the the more I just, you know, if I got the water to do it, cause it, it gets pretty slow up there, but, uh, I'll flank around there just cause it gives me more time to react to, what the other boaters are doing. Um, you got a marina right there on the left descending shore. And then uh, for whatever reason, the Corps of Engineers allowed them to build a, a dock for, you know, the, uh, the excursion vessels to go in. So, you know, if you get an excursion vessel like the Dutchess or the, uh, the American Queen in there, you know, they, uh, they take up quite a bit of room. And so then you, 
you you have less room to work with you got to stay off the, the marina it really it can it can make things challenging especially you start getting pleasure boaters thrown in the mix and whatnot uh then down from there you know you basically uh you have some solemns to go through to, to get into the lake pepin um it's probably one of my favorite places to fly my kites i uh usually take a kite or two with me on the boat and i get out in the lake there's usually pretty good wind i can get almost all of my thousand foot reel up in the up in the air so um it's generally what i do to, to try to relax a little bit um down from there you know you you'll have some more uh slow turns down to wabasha uh, and then after that you got uh, lock four uh which is in uh alma I actually thought about buying a house in alma once that's one of my favorite towns on the upper uh they they have a really good bakery there uh one of the one of my lead guys always gives me crap because he says i know where all the food is all the way up down the river so uh, they have a, a really good bakery there so um used to have uh, a power plant they've they've dismantled that it's just below the lock um that pool can be uh the pool below for can be challenging at times especially when it gets uh, shallow um but it, it's not too terrible um you know you come down around you got a lot of really beautiful bluff views um from lock 11 up really uh if you like bluffs and and nature i mean it is um one of my coworkers uh calls it god's country you know and lock 11 is the uh the gateway to god's country so it's it's very beautiful especially in the fall you'll have these um fog banks just rolling down the bluffs and into the river about six six thirty seven o'clock in the morning it's just absolutely gorgeous um so nonetheless uh you get down to uh to uh lock five um next one down from there is 5a uh 5a can be kind of a a, a bear to get into uh especially in high water there's always an outdraft there um now you got uh riverview tug service up there it makes it a lot easier because you got a tug that's usually there ready to go um and then uh below there you've got uh winona um that's usually a, a tow work stop you know um most companies will stop there uh and uh pick up or drop off and then uh from there you go down you got uh lock six in trempolo uh also a, a good restaurant there in trempolo um a few miles up the the river there you can actually see it from the river uh the great cod their buffet is amazing uh their beef tip sandwich is pretty good i'm a food guy in case you didn't notice but uh spent some time there uh, it's a great town. Uh, the next one down is um, get into Lock 7. Um, that's uh, in La, uh, La Crescent, Minnesota, across the river from La Crosse. Um, spent a lot of time there. Uh, know a few guys there. It's uh, That's a great town. Uh, you do just about anything you want to do there. There's all kinds of partying or, or you can relax. There's just a, a great place. There's um, uh, a little market there when you leave the lock and you head south towards the crescent there's a place called bauer market and they make this apple fritter bread that is just amazing and uh, they've got uh, um, local honey and uh, I, i'm a big fan of local honey but uh, they've got this wildflower honey they it's just amazing um, 
sorry i don't know why i keep talking about food but that's uh you know you leave there um you know the next uh big town's brownsville that's also a nice town um beautiful place to be uh some really cool architecture if you uh you like looking at houses um and then uh the next lockdown is uh lock six hey let's go down there we go um lock six um that one's in genoa uh, that one's a pretty easy lock to get into um pretty easy lock to check into if you're wanting to practice um then you got uh next one down from there would be be lock nine um and then after that you got lock 10 which is in uh um guttenberg uh iowa and guttenberg always seems to have something going on they've they've got uh just seems like they've always got something going on you know either a, a, a fair or some kind of um get together whatever um the people in that town they're always utilizing their riverfront walking up and down and just um i've been there a few times i got a pretty good ice cream parlor there um you know get down to lock 11 that's in uh that's in dubuque um there's a park called eagle crest park uh, above the lock like right above the lock there's a big bluff there and uh it i think it's a dollar to drive up there or you can walk for free it's worth the dollar uh, the views are amazing. Uh, the ability to, to get a bird's eye view of a boat coming in and making a lock, if that's something you're into, don't go to the lock to watch a boat come in. Go up to Eagle Crest. That's, that's a far better place. Um, you know, it's, it's just, it's beautiful. Uh, you leave there and, uh, you know, you got a uh, few bridges. Um, you got the, the railroad bridge, which is kind of... Um, in a weird spot because uh, when you when you're southbound you go through it and you have to flank over to get in front of the the highway bridge below it and then go um in the old days some guys with smaller toes would take the the um iowa side and they'd run down through there and then they'd run the auxiliary span um i for one am not not gutsy enough to try that i i've seen it done i know it's possible but I'll just stick with the nav span, but, uh, you come down through there and then, um, you have a pretty good run down to lock 12. Um, and it's not too bad until you get to uh, fever river. Um, that place shallows up quite a bit. Um, it just doesn't seem to, to stay, stay well. Um, you know, you get down around there and, uh, you get into Bellevue and, uh, Bellevue also really good town. Um, you know, grandpa's parlor is a great place to go for breakfast. Uh, I recommend the Mount Rushmore. Um, if you're into, uh, uh, patty melts, then go to Richmond's. But I've spent a lot of, a lot of nights there. Um, you know, I, I painted a few boats there at lock 12 and, um, spent, I've spent a lot of time in Bellevue. It's a, it's a great little town. Uh, very, very peaceful kind of out in the middle of nowhere but it's uh it's a nice town uh you run south of there and um that's a that's a pretty long run down to lock 13 um you know you've got a quite a few interesting things there's a there's an old army depot there they say 
it's uh, not active depot anymore, but uh, they still got signs up and everything says uh, don't land here. You know, no, no uh, trespassing government property and whatnot. Um, um, below that, you know, you'll have um, Savannah, uh, Illinois and Sabula, Iowa. They're right next to each other. And that's where the Sabula railroad bridge is. Um, that bridge can be a pain in the rear. It's, it's, um, a tight, narrow one. Uh, it's, it's, once you know how to set up for it, it's really not that bad, but it, it can be a pain sometimes. Um, there's a tug there that's, uh, usually available. I, I don't think I've ever been down through there where the, the, the tug wasn't available, but a lot of people use the tug there. Uh, it's cheap insurance. So, and then, uh, you have a run down there, um, through uh, what some people call the stump field, although the pool above lock 11, some people call that the stump field too. So, but uh, lock 13, that's uh, just north of Clinton, uh, Iowa. Lock's actually in Fulton, Illinois. It's a, uh, Fulton's kind of a small town. Clinton's got a lot of stuff there. They've got a, a giant milling facility and um, just all kinds of stuff there. Uh, there's big fleeting operation there as well. Um, so you come out of the lock, uh, you got two bridges before you get to the railroad bridge. Um, that one, again, a lot of people use a tug. It's not usually a, a difficult bridge to make. Um, I, I think just looking at it, it kind of makes people nervous and that probably makes it more difficult, but uh, pretty easy flank. I, I flank um, a lot of the bridges. Uh, I tend to be a flanking guy more than a uh, steering guy, but uh, anyways, uh, you know, you come down around Clinton, uh, through Comanche, Iowa, and, uh, you know, you get down to LeClaire. That's where the twilight's at. Uh, one of these days I'll go for a ride on there. It's kind of on my bucket list. I, I really like that boat and Kevin Steyer does a good job taking care of it. Um, if I get lucky enough to get lock delay, uh, you know, usually wait right above the, uh, the twilight there on the right descending shore and uh, there's a little ice cream shack there and uh, if you really really need a pork tenderloin sandwich in your life that's the place to go so i regularly will uh send the guys over and i'll call ahead and make an order and uh, you know tell the cook to take the day off we're we're having pork tenderloins and ice cream so it's uh, one of my favorite spots i try to at least once a year go there so uh you come around the corner after that and, uh, you, uh, come down to lock 14. Um, not, not a hard, hard lock to make really. Uh, there's a tug there. And, uh, a lot of times you use the tug just to help you get off the wall on the lower end. Um, getting in, it's sometimes easier than getting, getting out of it southbound. Um, you know, in higher water, there's a really hard set to that long wall. And, uh, when you have the tug there to just help you get some point, you know, it really helps you get off there without having to run a race with nothing. Um, down through there, uh, from 14 down to basically Bettendorf, uh, it's often called the rock cut. Uh, the reason it's called the rock cut is because it used to be nothing but waterfalls. And, uh, the Corps of Engineers came in and blasted a channel through there. And, and you definitely don't want to get out of the channel in the rock cut because you will sink something. Um, there's actually a waiting spot down there. It's a little Island. It's called dynamite Island. The reason it's called dynamite Island. Cause that's where the Corps of engineer stored all their, uh, their dynamite when they were blast blasting the channel. 
in the real real old days you know uh, you could only go up through there during high water you know so we kind of kind of lucky nowadays we don't have to wait for high water to, to transit through there so and that's why pilots were really important back then you know they would know their section of the river and uh you know they would get boats through um so you come down river from there you know you got bettendorf uh they just put a new bridge up a couple years ago uh they finished it i think last year um and uh after that you got lock 15 at arsenal island um in Rock Island, Illinois. Um, it's a military base. Um, they have the oldest uh, double, uh, I guess, double-decker bridge. Um, so the government bridge there is on the lower end of the long wall. Um, it uh, was built by the government. It has rail on top and car traffic on the bottom. And um, it's, it's the first and oldest one on the Mississippi River. And uh, um, it's got a lot of history behind it. I, I'm not hundred percent sure, but I thought somebody said that Abraham Lincoln was the one that, uh, approved the expenditure on that, which doesn't surprise me because it's a railroad bridge and everybody knows Abraham Lincoln was a lawyer for the railroad. So that's why they have a lot of the, the privileges that they have. So, uh, after that, you know, you, you leave out of there and you, uh, got a pretty good stretch down to lock 16, uh, pretty pretty peaceful stretch um you know some nice views there um get through lock 16 um you know you come through muscatine iowa um they got a, a highway bridge there um down around a lot of fleeting there too there's actually um above 16 there and buffalo you got a lot of fleeting there as well um so you get down to 17, it's kind of out in the middle of nowhere, New Boston. I definitely recommend that you have a full tank of gas before you leave town to go to the lock because uh, if you get turned around, it, you, it may take you a little bit to get back. So uh, then you get down to uh, lock 18, that's in uh, Burlington. Um, Burlington's uh, a decent town, uh, got a lot of good places to eat there as well. That starts to be the end of where I know where to go out to eat in case you're curious. So, uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, there's good, uh, good fleeting operation there in Burlington, uh, real good guys. there. usually pretty quick, skilled, uh, knowledgeable guys after, uh, after you get down with, uh, you know, 16 or, uh, uh, Burlington, I mean, uh, you go down to, uh, Keokuk, uh, lock 19, um, between Keokuk and 19 is the second double decker bridge, which is in Fort Madison. Uh, and that's, uh, again, it's got rail across the top and car or no, I'm sorry. Rails across the bottom cars are on top. If I'm thinking that's correct. I, yeah, I think that's correct. So, uh, that one is a toll bridge. You have to pay to go over that. It's privately owned bridge. So, um, but you get down to Keokuk and that is, uh, the first of your 1200 foot locks, everything above that is, uh, 600 foot. So, um, there's a tug to help you get in there. They, the setup there is kind of funny. Uh, you know, there's, you got, uh, it's a hydroelectric plant on your left ascending side and, uh, you can actually go online and see what they're, uh, they're running. And that'll kind of give you an idea how much of a draw you have to the, to that side of the, the river. Uh, but there's no real long wall on the upper end. You know, you have two small 
bullnose walls really. And, uh, in the old days when I was deckhand, um, you know, they would run the, the head on the shore. You'd hear the rocks hitting the barges, you know, you'd be rubbing the rocks the whole way down and there's a, a curved wall that goes in the lock and you just get that head on that wall and you'd run it down that curved wall. And then, uh, right before you got into the, the bullnose wall, you catch a line and hold that head, let the captain straighten his, straighten his toe up. And, uh, when he's ready, turn it loose and go right in. Uh, nowadays you're pretty lucky. Uh, you got, uh, a tug outfit there. Uh, they're, they're excellent. They, they pretty much run the tugs, the rest away from lock 19 down to, um, I think 22 and, uh, they, uh, they do an excellent job. They got a fleeting operation there in uh, Quincy. Um, so, but yeah, that's your, your 1200 foot chamber. It's, it's a pretty decent sized drop. Um, that lock can be a pain in the ass to get into northbound. Um, but, uh, they have a little dog, uh, dog leg there. And, uh, they also have a, a swing span bridge on their lower end. I've never seen it in operation. I don't even know if it still works, but, um, so there's that, um, down below there, you got, uh, lock 20, which is in Canton, Missouri. And then the next one down be 21, uh, which is in Quincy. That's where the, the fleet is there. Uh, Canton Marine towing is a pretty, those guys know what they're doing there. They're one of my favorite fleets. They, uh, they're quick. They jump on you, uh, make life super easy. Um, after that, you got, uh, go down to Hannibal, Missouri, which is a, a beautiful town. They also have, a an overlook there, uh, just outside of their downtown area there. Uh, they have a little stern wheeler there called the Mark Twain. Uh, I recommend if you get a chance to go on their dinner cruise, it's worth it. Um, also a lot of good pork tenderloin places there in, uh, in Hannibal. So, uh, then uh, down from Hannibal is uh, Lock 22 in uh, Severton. And then uh, after that, you got um, uh, Lock 24, which is in, um, oh gosh, I'm drawing a blank. It's uh, just south of Louisiana, Missouri. It's uh, Clarksville. I should know Clarksville. I lived in Clarksville, Tennessee for a little bit. So Clarksville, uh, Missouri. And then after that, you've got um, Lock uh, 25. And that's the last of the, the 600 foot chambers, uh, on the upper. And then after that, you, your next stop is in Alton, be lock 26. Uh, that's the, the first of the 1200 footers. Um, some people probably don't know lock 25. They're currently in the process of, uh, converting it to a uh, 1200 foot chamber as well. Uh, they say it's going to take about 10 years, uh, but we'll see how that goes. So, um, Anyways, after 26, then you got 27. Uh, 27's uh, right there above St. Louis. You come out of 27, and you got a whole slew of bridges to make. Uh, you come out of the canal there, and uh, you can call traffic all you want. I guarantee somebody's going to – you could tell them you're stopping or you're coming through town. It doesn't matter. Somebody's going to ask you what you're doing because, uh, you know, they get busy. There's a lot of fleeting in St. Louis. Um, it's, a, it's a pretty busy harbor. Um, you know, um, anyways, you, you get through St. Louis and, uh, you know, the next big town that you come to is, um, is Cape Girardeau, but there's a, a bunch of towns in between there. You know, you've got, uh, Herculaneum and, uh, you know, you got, uh, 
uh, Chester and Grand Tower and a bunch of bunch of towns. Grand Tower. That's uh, this last trip. That was uh, with the low water. That's a swift hole right now, or at least it was when I was when I was on uh, Tucker Points put putting out pretty good. And uh, you know it's uh, it's it's kind of tricky if you're not you're not paying attention to what you're doing. So, but, um, you get done with, uh, with Cape and that's pretty much, you know, that's the last of the last of the big cities, uh, to get down to Cairo and Wycliffe, which those aren't really big cities, you know? So, but, uh, you know, Cape just below there, you got Gray's point. Um, that's typically a, a flank. A lot of people flank that, um, you know, heck I even see unit toes flanking it sometimes I've never run a unit toe, so I don't don't know what the motivation there is i think if i had a unit toe i'd probably steer it but uh you know you never know it's a comfort thing so uh right below there you got the the thebes railroad bridge and that that thing can be a pain in the rear too in high water uh right now at my last time down it was uh you know i laid off that left hand pier quite a bit just because it it just does wasn't pushing me out like it normally does so but uh Got a, a couple of good turns down below there. You know, slide and towhead can be can be a bear sometimes. Um, you know, depending on whether you get get on the reds too much or you aren't getting on them enough, it's it's kind of a you know iffy thing there. So get down through there. You got scudders and um, on down. You know, antelope and uh, you got the the pond lily I fifty seven highway bridge. I remember the the captain that steered me, you know, he was adamant that I always call it the pond lily bridge. And I was like, it's the I 57 bridge. Nobody calls it the pond lily bridge. And to this day, I've looked everywhere. I've Googled it. I've, I've tried to find where the hell this bridge is called the pond lily bridge. And I, I can't find it anywhere, but nonetheless, when I call traffic, I always call it the pond lily I 57 bridge just in case. And, and it's a good thing to do anyways, because you know, if, if you know all of the old names, uh, when an old timer calls traffic, you're going to know where he's at. And if you know all the old names, you know, and you're using them, it keeps the, uh, the heritage alive, you know, the tradition. And it also helps some of the old timers, you know, because they may not, you know, really care, or know that it's the I-57 bridge. They, they just know it's the Pond Lily bridge. So if you leave out of St. Paul with 15, uh, number one, how many miles do you cover to get to Cairo and how long does it take? Oh, well, it's uh, about 830, 838 miles, somewhere around there. Um, if you leave out with 15 nonstop, um, you could be down in Cairo in a week. Now, that obviously depends on delay. I mean, if you have a, you know, if you have a lot of traffic, you know, it, it's going to obviously slow things down. Uh, but, uh, you know, you could do a week, week and a half. Well, what kind of tow work is required at each of those locks, if any? Um, so if you got 15 of them uh, at a 600 foot lock, you know, you'll, you'll shove in with, um, with your first nine and then you'll, you'll break the coupling uh, the way they, we usually lay the, the coupling in a way that makes it easy to, uh, to break it apart. Um, you know, we'll short tear our breast wires. That way all we have to deal with is our breast wires or not our breast wires, our four and a half wires. And um once they break the coupling, you know, we'll back out with the six, they'll raise it up or down. Uh, if it's down, usually they'll flush it out. If it's up, then they'll usually use a cable to pull it out. And, um, then they'll raise or lower the chamber. You'll come in, go up or down, shove back out, resquare that coupling, 
relay lay the wires and then get on your way um that's um that's the reason why the arkansas river is not a 15 barge river uh, because once you get above little rock they don't have tow haulage gear uh, so they don't have the ability to pull your first cut so when you make a lock there you do what they call the oklahoma double and that's where you'll shove in with six break it off back out to the lower end of the long wall tie off your toe come out of toe come up between the the bank and your toe in between the bull nose and in the lock uh, remake that coupling, go up or down, shove it out, and then you'll back the boat back in, back around your toe, get face back up, shove it in, lock up or down. It, it takes three or three and a half to four hours over on the uh, the Arkansas River above Little Rock. It's really kind of a pain. Um, it's not fun at all for the deck crew. Uh, but uh, the upper um, for 600 foot locks, they they really have it down. Uh, the lock guys over there, they, they know what they're doing. They're, they're easy to, to work with. Um, they're consistent, you know, um, just about every lock up there does everything the same way. And that really, um, that really helps speed up the process. When you get on a river, uh, where the locks are not uniform in the way that they operate, um, it really, really does make things difficult. And, uh, the fact that the upper is able to do that, considering the upper is in, three different districts it's technically in four different districts but uh you know you got st paul district you got rock island district you got st louis district and then the lowest part of the um the upper is actually in ohio valley district um you know so it's um it's it's amazing that they're able to maintain that uniformity any interesting stories come to mind of your time uh, as a steersman and or posting new rivers um Man, I, I, you know, I, it, the whole, the whole experience was a challenge. That's for sure. Um, you know, my best friend was steering at the same time on another boat and, uh, you know, I made the, the fatal mistake of comparing his experience with my experience. Uh, don't ever do that. Just worry about what you're doing. Um, you know, there was a, a period of time there where I, I definitely, uh, didn't think that I was going to make it, um, the, the guy that steered me, um, if it wasn't for him, I, I probably never would have got steered. Uh, he, uh, was a mentor, uh, good friend for about 12 years. Uh, I never actually worked with him prior to steering with him. I, I just knew him. Um, you know, he'd kind of reached out and made contact with me years and years before, cause we had something in common. Um, you know, we, we both, uh, uh, we, we both were gay and, um, I, uh, I kind of struggled to find somebody, uh, that was willing to steer me. Um, I, um, I kind of shot myself in the foot a lot. Um, you know, there's, uh, there's a lot of people that, uh, you know, they have these, uh, these, uh, little tips and tricks on how to get promoted. And, and my, um, in my experience, the, 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 what I always tell when people ask me how, how to succeed in this industry and how to get promoted in my, my suggestions, always keep your mouth shut, do your job to the best of your ability every day and only worry about what you're, what you're in charge of. And, uh, I was kind of a mouthy young man. You know, I, I, I let my mouth, uh, dig a lot of holes for me and that made, uh, made, getting promoted 
a lot more difficult than it already was. Um, so I, without, um, without having Jim, you know, steer me, I mean, I, you know, he, he took a big risk cause he, he's not, um, he's kind of like me, like he, he's not out. I mean, if you ask him, he'll tell you, but you gotta, you gotta, you gotta bring it up. You know, he's not gonna tell you. So, um, and I tried to do that myself, you know, most of my career, I tried to stay in the closet. Um, one of the big factors for me leaving the fleeting operation was, um, cause I had been outed, um, and life became difficult and, you know, I just, I needed a move, you know, so I went to the shuttle boats and, uh, again, you know, a few months after that I was outed and, you know, it was, I put up with it for a little while. Uh, and then I made another move, went to line boat side and, um, <laughs> I don't know. I just, I must be blatantly obvious, you know, uh, I don't think that I am, but I, I must be, uh, cause I was outed again. Um, you know, somebody had figured out what fleet I came from and they knew that the gay guy from the fleet had made a transfer. So they put two and two together. And at that point I figured, well, you know, I'm going to quit running from it and I'm just going to own it. And, uh, I didn't do it in a very, uh, uh, respectful way. I don't think I, uh, it's kind of in your face. I felt like if you're going to make me uncomfortable, I'm going to make you uncomfortable back. And, um, and that was a, it wasn't a, a choice I, I'm proud of, you know, I, I wish that I had uh, done it differently, but, you know, I was in my twenties, I was young and stupid. And uh, I mean, not that I'm that much older now, you know, but uh, anyways, uh, you know, it just, uh, I made a lot of mistakes, um, but I did a lot of things that I'm proud of. You know, I, um, I, I feel like I changed people's viewpoints a little bit. Um, you know, people, uh, don't necessarily, I guess one of the, my biggest gripes is, you know, the stereotyping, you know, they just assume, you know, that because of this, this is what's going to be, you know, and, and that's not the case. You know, I, uh, I worked, I worked my, I worked my ass off. I, uh, I paid for it. You know, I mean, my, my back's not in the greatest shape and, you know, my shoulders are destroyed and, you know, my body definitely took a took a beating for, for all the work I did. I mean, I would, I'd carry a 300 foot lock line just to show them that I was tougher than they were by myself. You know, I had no problem putting the old sounders in by myself or carrying them by myself, you know? Um, and, uh, I, I had a little bit of a temper and the, the matter I got, the, the harder I worked just cause that was the only way I could, uh, I guess, make myself feel better was I had to be better than everybody else. And, um, it's kind of nice, you know, uh, now that I'm established, you know, for the most part that I, I don't have to do that. I still struggle with that every day. Uh, you know, trying to do my job to the best of my ability every day. Uh, and sometimes it's, uh, sometimes it, it, it rubs people the wrong way. Uh, and, and it's, it's not cause I'm gay. It's, it's because of the way that I work, you know, I've, uh, I regularly will do tow work with my boat. You know, it's a hundred and 45 foot long Jeff boats, not exactly the best boat to be doing tow work with, but, uh, you know, instead of sitting and waiting on delay, I'll, I'll get stuff done. And I know that irritates people. Um, you know, and part of me still feels like I have, have to prove myself. Um, but I think that, uh, 
I think that everybody should. I mean, I, uh, we get paid to do a job and, and that's what I'm here to do. Um, I've had experiences in the past where, where people suggested that I, I should probably find a different career or that it uh, may not be safe for me. And, uh, and I proved it wrong. You know, I, uh, I didn't want to leave this industry because the people in this industry are great people. Um, I, I've worked with some very amazing people, uh, and some of those people I don't share similar viewpoints with, you know, and, uh, that that's, um, I feel like that's a problem nowadays is that, um, people feel like they can only associate with people that they have similar viewpoints. And I mean, I, I have friends that are Democrats. I have friends that are Republicans. I have friends that are atheist. I have friends that are Jewish and Christian, you know, and I don't necessarily share viewpoints with any of those people, but nonetheless, they're my friends and I care about them. And, uh, most of my close friends, uh, our tow boaters or people that work in the maritime industry. I mean, my best friend, uh, Jerome price, um, he was a senior assistant engineer on nights at, at the casino I worked with. And I still talk to him all the time. Uh, he's still very much a, a figure in my life. His, uh, his wife is one of my best friends. Um, you know, his family is my family. You know, we, uh, you know, uh, Robert Lester, another chief engineer I work with, uh, you know, I just saw him, you know, this last week down in Louisiana, you know, and he's uh, a great guy. You know, he, uh, he's the reason that, uh, I, I started down this road. I mean, he, uh, told me to stay away from the oceans and stay away from oil and gas. He said, oil and gas is not reliable. Go find you a good barge job. They'll, they'll take care of you. And he wasn't wrong you know, uh, has always been supportive, always had my back, um, always willing to tell me when I'm screwing up, you know, and that's, uh, that's the atmosphere that I like about tow boating, you know, uh, yeah, some of the guys can be harsh and crass, you know, but, uh, um, most of the time they'll, they'll be, they'll be honest with you, whether you like it or not, you know, and if, uh, you know, if you're too soft to, to take that advice, you know, that's, that's really your problem, you know, and that's one thing, you know, uh, when I was younger, I didn't, I didn't heed the advice that I got real well. Uh, although, uh, I don't feel like I was at a place to, to hear it. Um, I mean, it's kind of like, I, I always talk to people about, uh, getting promoted, right. You know, when I, uh, when I was a, a deckhand, I thought that I could do the watchman's job or the lead man's job, you know, and I knew it, you know, I've been a deckhand for 10 years and, uh, then I became uh, a lead man and actually had to do the job. And, uh, and I did know what I was doing, but I didn't have the confidence, you know, and it was hard and, and I had a lot to learn and, uh, you know, it, it, uh, it taught me a lot of things. I mean, there's, there was a watchman that, uh, that I didn't get along with. Um, I'd been rode up several times by this guy. And, uh, when I became a watchman, I started to see things the way that he did. And although I don't agree with his management style, uh, I understand why he did things the way that he did. And, 
and, and it, uh, it just, it changed my whole outlook. And, um, the same thing happened every time I got promoted, you know, when I went to being a mate, you know, I'm ready for this. And then all of a sudden, no, I'm not ready for this, you know, and then I started seeing things about, you know, the way that my mates would do things. And, and then I understood and, and there's a lot to say for experience, you know, yeah, you, you can, you could be good at what you do. Um, but unless you're actually in those shoes doing that job, you know, it's, uh, it's hard to say how you would feel about it. And, and I think if people were a little bit more open-minded and, and I'm not talking about the LGBT stuff, but, uh, you know, just in general, being more open-minded, trying to live life through, through other people's shoes. I mean, that's, um, you know, a lot of times when I, I have issues with crew members and we have to have a conversation, you know, it's, uh, I try very hard to put myself in their shoes because it generally, if, if I try to see it from their point of view, even if I still feel they're wrong, um, that empathy and the ability to try to understand them and come to a mutual understanding is, is helpful. Um, it's respectful. Um, don't get me wrong. You know, I kind of miss, uh, the old days some days, you know, I mean, uh, I remember I had this captain that was, that I worked with in the fleet and, uh, he was a major hard ass. I mean, from day one, I was a stupid fish head MFR, and, uh, you know, you couldn't do that today, right? You couldn't do that today. And, uh, I remember one time I made him so bad. He slung that window open and, uh, it went, it kept going right off the tracks. And, uh, I always told myself, man, one of these days I'm going to be a captain. I'm going to be able to do that, you know? And, uh, nonetheless, um, you know, I knew I was doing good because he quit calling me a stupid fish head and started calling me a buck face, which I'm sorry about the cussing, but that's, that's toe boning, you know, today, you know, that gets you fired, you know? And, and back then that was, you know, but there was a day and I don't even remember what I did, but he's like, Hey, Brandon can you go up to my truck and, and grab something? I don't remember what it was. And, and I was just like, is he talking to me? <laughs> is he talking to Holy shit. He knows my name, you know? And that's when I knew I was doing a good job because I gradually moved up. And although it's not what we consider to be respectful nowadays, you know, working on a towboat's a hard life and you kind of have to be a hard person to, to live that life. Um, you know, and he wasn't treating me any different than he did anybody else. I mean, he treated everybody that way, you know, uh, that's just how he communicated. Um, I, uh, I, for one tend to read a lot of management books. Um, you know, I, I, uh, read one called permission to screw up. Uh, I believe it's by Caitlin Hadid and, um, you know, it just talks about, um, generational differences and how to manage different generations and whatnot. And there is a better way. I mean, um, that way with that captain worked for me because I'm the type of person that, uh, that likes that work atmosphere, but not everybody's that way, you know, and although it does work, it doesn't work well with everybody. And, uh, so I generally tailor my management styles to be different for the different crew members that I have. Because, you know, I've got, uh, I've got a deckhand that's, you know, uh, a Navy veteran. 
he's he's getting getting up there in, in age and you know he, he's you know he's a, a boomer slash gen xer he's right there on that line you know and then i've got a bunch of millennials and gen xers and and they all they're all motivated by different things um and even in their subcategories you know you want to talk about gen xers well not all gen xers are motivated by the same thing because they weren't all raised the same way or you know have different beliefs or come from different backgrounds you know every every person's motivated by something different and when you can figure out what motivates them and what makes them happy uh, then you can start to build a happy environment on a boat we're kind of covering your story in reverse here but fill me in uh, your time from deck to steersman and i think you said three times being outed how that affected you uh professionally and was your personal safety ever really in question so um the job we do in general is not uh the safest job in the environment in the world you know so i mean we we have people who fall overboard and die from line strikes or, or health issues or all kinds of stuff so i wouldn't say that that i was never I mean, anytime you step on a boat, you run the risk, um, from, from an assault, um, you know, I've been on boats where guys got into disagreements and, and, and things got out of hand. Um, I think that is just life. I think that that is, um, possibility regardless whether you're gay, straight or whatever, um, I don't feel like my life was ever in harm's way uh, because of who I am outside of work. Um, were there people who didn't like it? Yeah, sure. There was lots of people that didn't like it. There's still people that don't like it. Um, some of those people don't like it because I personally made them not like it because I was a smart ass. Um, you know, uh, looking back, I don't feel like I needed to transfer. I felt like that was a, a choice I made because I was running from something I wasn't necessarily happy about. Um, I was still very much um, religious uh, when I was still working in the fleet and struggling with my relationship with my creator. And, um, you know, it's uh, you, you can only pray about something for so long and not get an answer and then you kind of give up on it. So, um, when I went to line boats, that was a multifaceted decision. I mean, I, I wanted to go for a lot of reasons. It wasn't just, uh, because I was outed. I mean, that, that played a, a role, um, because, you know, when you're comfortable not having everybody know about your life, then, you know, you're kind of comfortable about that, you know, uh, a lot of people will tell you I'm a social person, but at heart, I mean, I'm happiest when I'm out in the middle of the woods by myself, camping by myself, you know, preferably if there's a risk, I might get mauled by a bear. That's where I'm happiest. You know, I, I just, uh, so, you know, I, I get, um, I get a little flustered a lot, um, with questions and with, uh, things that I like repeating myself. I'm not really big into repeating myself. Um, so when I get the same question 
multiple times. It gets frustrating. And sometimes I don't handle it well. And, uh, you know, sometimes like the, the person asking the question isn't necessarily being uh, vindictive or, or crude in any way. And, and that's the thing, like um, a lot of people, like, I don't care about the jokes. I really don't. I think some of them are funny. Um, you know, I was always raised to believe that if you can't have a sense of humor about yourself, then you can't joke about anybody else. And I come from a, a family full of jokesters. So uh, I like to joke. So I'm very, very willing to. Um, you can tell the difference when somebody's telling a joke or when they're being a jerk. Um, and I usually will treat those people differently. Um, but, you know, like a common question I would get, and, and I just, I got tired of answering it, but uh, how do you know if you've never been with a woman? And my answer was always the same, uh, you know, it, well, okay, how do you know you're not gay if you've never been with a man? You know, and their response is, oh, that's gross. That's disgusting. Oh, I would never, you know, and it's like, okay, well, I have the same answer then. You know, I mean, a lot of these questions that, that I got asked over the years, if they would just ask themselves the same question in reverse, they'd have my answer. Um, you know, but that was the other big thing is, you know, I, I don't really like being made a, um, um, an object or a symbol. I don't, I don't know what you want to rephrase it as, but um, um, I don't speak for the LGBT community. I speak for me you know, so what I say is for me and what they say is for them. You know, I don't, ex I don't agree with a hundred percent of what they put out. You know, that's not, you know, uh, I mean, I, I'm pretty diverse in my range of views. I mean, I voted for Obama and I voted for Trump, you know, so, I mean, my viewpoints are, I'm open-minded quite a bit. Um, so I can tell you that, uh, I struggle more with the gay community than I do with tow boaters. I mean, I get more crap from, from gay people for voting for Trump than I have ever gotten from tow boaters for being gay. Um, you know, don't get me wrong. You have your, your one asshole here or there. Um, but you'll have that on any boat about any issue. Uh, I mean, I, I had, I had two deckhands. One was a Baptist and one was a Catholic. And they had a disagreement that went way further than any disagreement I've ever had, you know, and that's not even a, a gay straight thing. That's a, that's a religion thing. So, you know, um, it's just life, you know, uh, people get, um, get heated about things they're passionate about. And lucky for me, I, I haven't had, uh, I haven't had those issues. I mean, I, I've, I've been assaulted on a boat before, but it was, um, due to my smart ass and, and more than it was due to, uh, um, being gay. Um, you know, I'm very much a, uh, lead by example kind of person. And my supervisor was very much a do as I say, not as I do kind of guy. And, and I decided to teach him a lesson and that lesson didn't go over so well. Uh, you know, so like, you know, sometimes it's, it's kind of, like I said, keep your mouth shut, do your job, the best of your ability and only worry about what you're in charge of. And believe me, you do those things and you'll get promoted. Um, you know, if I would have just been good at my job and quit worrying about his job, you know, it would, uh, would have been fine. But, uh, so yeah, um, you know, it, getting outed, uh, was probably more traumatic when I got outed, uh, by my mother. Um, 
you know, she did it. Um, she did it to, um, she was trying to help, you know, she told my dad, um, that I was, that I was gay. I, I wasn't ready for that. Um, I, um, my parents were supportive in their own way. It, it took them some time to adjust. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, it, I, my, my family's not the, the closest, you know, we, uh, we don't really get around and, um, I'm sorry. Um, we, we don't, I go camping with my parents occasionally in the winter time. You know, my brothers are one's in the Navy one's, uh, one's in the, well, he's not in the army anymore. He's, he's, uh, was in the army retired and, uh, or not retired, but got out and became a police officer and then retired from that. Uh, my sister's in Indiana. Uh, I think a lot of the, the distance, you know, at least on my end is just my work schedule. I, uh, I get pretty busy. Um, when I get off the boat, I tend to trip and work a lot. So, um, but yeah, no, it's, uh, uh, I've had my ups and downs with, uh, with working on the river, but, uh, it's been more positive than negative, I would say. Um, you know, like I said, uh, tow boaters in general, you know, they, uh, they're a rough, gruff kind of group of people to work with, uh, you know, and, and, uh, once you realize that, uh, that's just how they are, you know, it's not, a, it's not hard to figure out how to, how to get along. Before I jump to a couple of questions that are more my own curiosity, uh, regarding your personal life and, and sexual predisposition, um, what has this industry meant to you, obviously, as an alternative to police work, but uh, over the years, um, how has this kind of shaped your life? Well, um, I mean, when I started, it was just a job, you know, it was a means to an end, a way to, to uh, pay for school, pay bills, have fun. Um, in, uh, I think it stayed that way for, for quite a while. Uh, in 2013, I had an accident and, um, at home and, uh, I ended up, uh, losing my thumb and part of my, uh, middle finger and my index finger no longer functions the way it's supposed to. And, uh, that was the first time that I had to fight, um, to keep my job. I mean, even with, uh, all of, uh, all of the stuff that had gone on before, um, you know, I, uh, took me five and a half months before my hand healed enough to where I could start working on, uh, coming back to work. And then I had to prove that I could come back to work. Um, my, uh, safety manager at the time was nice enough to send me some Kevlar face wire, just a section of it so that I could practice splicing. And, um, uh, it was difficult to relearn how to do that stuff. Um, and that's, uh, when I came back to work, you know, I mean, I, I was a deckhand and I, uh, you know, I, I got it to where the company let me come back to work and, uh, I worked my ass off and to, to prove again that I could do my job, you know, and, 
I had to prove to myself that I could do my job because I, there was a long time there where I just didn't think that I was going to, going to be able to do it. Um, you know, I, it's like, it's actually kind of funny because, uh, when you, when you run out of ratchet, you know, you're holding it and you're spinning the barrel. Right. And a lot of people will go to check the threads by doing this, you know, they'll hold that, hold that up and, uh, and they'll, they'll check the threads Well, I'm left-handed. So I went to check the threads and I don't, don't have that thumb to check the threads anymore and i looked around real quick because i did i was hoping nobody saw it and uh everybody it's like they knew they they all saw it and they were all laughing their asses off and they're like oh i'm missing a few inches there aren't we brandon it's like, yeah yeah i was so um those guys you know that you could call it mean or cruel or whatever but uh you know they'd step on my shoelaces and untie my shoes, you know, so they have to watch me, you know, and they, they take the tape and they mash it down real, you know, make it hard for me. Cause I'm still doing stuff with my left hand, you know? And, uh, and if it wasn't for those guys, um, you know, I, I never would have made it back on deck. I mean, everything that they did, I mean, I know they were just joking around having a good time, you know, but everything that they did, uh, helped me get better at my job, helped me feel good about being back at work, uh, made me more comfortable, you know, um, and that's, that's around the time when I learned the whole, keep my mouth shut, you know, work as hard as I can every day and do the, you know, only worry about, only worry about what, uh, what I'm doing. And, uh, it, uh, right around then 2013 is when I started really kind of caring about what I do. And, that's when I started paying attention to the history and tradition of what I do. And, um, I really, um, started to, to love working on the river. Um, you know, when it's, it's amazing, you know, when you, when you really just stop worrying about what's out of your control and you just worry about what you're doing, you know, you start opening your eyes to what's going on around you. You start seeing things, the beauty of the job that we do, um, you know, the, the confidence that job gives you. I mean, I, I wasn't the greatest mate on the river, but I was pretty good and I was really good at paperwork and, uh, you know, it, I was confident and, you know, it, it just, I, I started being proud of the work that I was doing. I started seeing what my dad had always told me about, you know, take pride in your work and it'll bring you happiness and, and, you know, stuff like that. And, uh, uh, you know, just a lot of things, you know, I mean, uh, I've done a lot of different things. I've got a lot of different experiences. I mean, I've worked on casino boats. I, I worked on a, a mule drawn ferry. I've worked on tugs, worked on line boats. I've done all these different things. And as Jerome would say, and chief Robert would say, you know, all those experiences, they're like toolbox or tools in a toolbox and more experiences you have, the more tools you have, the better equipped you do your job. And, um, when I started getting to where I understood that, that I was good at this and that I could be better, uh, is when I started really loving it. Um, when I got in the wheelhouse, um, I hated life. <laughs> it was, uh, when I was a steersman, it was just, uh, uh, I didn't know what I was doing. You know, it, it, the whole time you're, you're, you're uh, a deckhand all the way up to a mate, you know, you think to yourself, you know, oh, how hard could it be? How hard could it be? And, you know, and I even had, 
had experience. Um, I uh, went to work uh, part-time uh, in 2015, 2016, somewhere in there. Um, maybe it was even earlier than that, but I was painting boats uh, for for um, the tug service up in Bellevue. And, um, you know, if it wasn't for him, you know, I, I, I don't think I ever would have made the push to go uh, Jeremy Putman. You know, I, I don't think I ever would have made the push to, to get my license. You know, he, uh, he kind of pushed me to do it. And then he gave me the ability to, uh, you know, without him, I never would have learned how to drive tugs. And, you know, I um, pretty well had my license before I got in the steersman's program, you know, and had been driving tugs for a little bit before I got in the steersman. So I still had, I had an idea of what, what I was doing, but, but, you know, going from, putting boats on the wall at a lock to moving 15 barges, 25 barges, you know, that's a, a big difference. And I struggled with that a lot. Um, I had a few accidents that, uh, really, uh, made me nervous and made it hard for me. Um, you know, but, uh, I got over them and, and moved on, eventually became a pilot. And, uh, that's, uh, that, you know, first year was rough as it is for most new pilots, you know, cause you don't have that guy standing behind you to tell you when you're screwing up, you know, you have to figure that out on your own. And, um, you know, I was a pilot for about four years and then I got my, my captain's position and, uh, I, uh, I liked being a pilot. Uh, I have a lot of days where I kind of want to be a pilot again. Um, the biggest thing that makes me enjoy my job now or love my job now is, is I, um, I, I got a crew that just, uh, is amazing. Uh, I couldn't do half the things I do without the crew that I have. I mean, my chiefs are top notch. Uh, you know, my mates are great. My watchmen's are good. You know, my deck crew in general is good. I've got two amazing cooks. I'd argue that I got two of the best cooks on the river. You know, so uh, everybody just gets along. I mean, you know, we cut up quite a bit. You know, we, we razz each other, you know, give each other a hard time, but it's all in good spirits. You know, everybody's pretty open with each other. We, uh, uh, you know, uh, another book I read was called Braving the Wilderness by Brene Brown. You know, and she talks about managing and having, uh, having the hard discussions and being upfront about it. And, and my guys have really that's they they do that really well i mean they they're, they're more than happy to come up and say hey look you know we we need to have a hard talk here and, and and um you know it just it makes life easy um having a good crew um you know there's a lot of a lot of paperwork and, and a lot of stuff to deal with you know with the office and stuff uh that's not necessarily the fun part about driving a boat and and really i mean driving the boat everybody oh that's the fun part and it's not always not for me at least um you know i uh i really enjoy seeing my guys grow uh i've promoted a few that i i miss um i've gotten a couple back that i've promoted previously and they found their way back to my boat i don't know whether to apologize or thank them uh but i'm glad they're here you know so um but yeah it's just uh there's there's so much with the towing industry that that you can fall in love with. It's hard to pin one down. I mean, the view is amazing. I mean, I get to see some awesome stuff. Um, you know, uh, 
eat if you're into bird watching. There's all kinds of eagles and hawks and turkey vultures, you know. Um, but getting on a boat uh, that has a crew that cares about the boat and the, the boat's history and the tradition, you know, and and just cares about one another, you know. I mean that, uh, especially for a guy that you know. I mean I, I don't have a tight knit family, but I do at work. Well, I do appreciate your uh, your willingness to appear on this show and and share so freely your your experiences and, and perspective. Um, for anyone out there watching or listening this far into it that may not want to hear about some maybe more contentious issues facing society today, this might be the time to uh, to shut this down. But Brandon, if you are willing to answer this, interested in answering this. This question came to mind as we've been sitting here. Um, where do you stand personally on the, if I may, the pronoun patrol that seems to exist out in the ether these days? And you mentioned LGBT a few times, but not, I don't know all the letters, but the Q plus will say. Yeah. Um, so I... Um... I, I hold pretty much a libertarian standpoint on things. Um, whether I agree with what you do or don't do, um, that is your business. Um, so long as I keep my life out of your hair, you keep your life out of my hair. I, I don't care. Um, and, and that's a lot of the reason why I wanted to stay in the closet is because I don't want to force my beliefs on somebody. I also don't want anybody to force their beliefs on me. Um, I guess my, my viewpoint on it is, uh, I, I get in this argument a lot, uh, with one of my close friends who's also gay and we talk about, uh, equality and why we're still fighting for equality. And as far as the L G and B, I feel like we have reached equality. We we've been there for quite some time. And I think that the fight is over. Um, you know, you can look wherever you want to look for data on whether we are, aren't, or what they're trying to do to take what rights away and this, that, and the other. Um, I, um, the best way I can put it is, um, you know, you're equal when you can do onto others, what was done onto you. And so when I was a kid, Bible thumpers were an issue, right? I mean, most of the hate that I ever got was from religious fanaticals. Um, and I don't have a problem with religion. My husband is pretty religious and, you know, he, he believes in God. Um, I still do in a way, but what I'm getting at is Bible thumpers will force their beliefs because that's what their belief is, is to spread the gospel. And, and that's, that's great. But that's what the LGBT movement or the alphabet mafia is, is doing is they are force feeding their beliefs into people's lives. And I, I don't agree with that. Uh, I, I think that we should be uh, better. Uh, we've achieved our, our equality. I mean, I'm married. How much more equal can I get? Um, at some point, 
you have to wonder if we're looking for special rights and I don't want special rights. I want to be treated. And that's why I like the towboat industry because for the most part, I've always been treated like everybody else. Uh, and when I wasn't, usually somebody stepped in and said, Hey, look, that ain't cool. You know? So I don't, I don't feel it's right to force uh, beliefs into people's lives who don't want it. Um, and I don't necessarily agree with all of it either. Um, you know, we keep fighting for, um, I mean, gay rights was gay rights, you know, trans and all of the other, and I don't even know what they are because I don't, don't get involved in that stuff. That that's different. That's something different from a sexual orientation. Um, you know, um, out of respect, if somebody wants me to call them by their pronoun, um, I try to be respectful when I can. Um, but if you want me to automatically know what your pronoun is and call you by that pronoun and, and well, that takes communication and, and I'm not, you know, unless you have it tattooed on your forehead, I, I, I can't do that. Um, you know, my belief is that, that there's two genders. I, I believe in science. Um, you know, what you choose to do is your business. Um, if you don't want to hear what I have to say about it, don't ask me, you know, and, and that's really as far as I can, I, I can go with it. I mean, it's, um, it's not necessarily something I agree with, but it's not something that, you know, I want to outlaw or tell somebody how to live their life. I think that if you, if that's for you, then that's for you. That's fine. So long as it's only and affects you. Um, you know, but I, I feel like if I was a member of the gay community, you know, if I was uh, not ostracized the way that I am, you know, I would argue that we need to kind of cool it a little bit because if we keep going down the road that we're going, we're going to create hate. Um, you know, it's, it's just like calling somebody a racist who's not a racist. You can only push somebody so far before you create hate in that person. And, and my goal would be to, to create community and welcoming. I mean, even if, even if somebody was a homophobic, right? I've worked with plenty of homophobics and never had a problem with them because we had an understanding that they were safe and that, that I, I respected their boundaries. They respected my boundaries. And I would argue that they're not a homophobic because they're able to realize that we have different views, you know, and that's the problem is just it, we have a lack of respect, a lack of accountability and, and, you know, the internet and, and cell phones, all that stuff. It's all bad, you know, guilty, use it all the time, but, but it's all bad. I mean, how many times have we saw something online and didn't do a deep enough dive to find out whether it was really true, you know? And, and I mean, that's just like, you know, people were adamant that Trump uh, hated the gays and was out to, to steal our rights. No other president uh, spent more money than, than Trump did trying to end killings of gay people in foreign countries for the sole purpose of the fact that they were gay. I, how can you say he's homophobic and, and anti-gay if he's trying to stop other people in other countries from killing us simply for being gay? You know, meanwhile, you have other political groups bringing 
truckloads of people in this country that absolutely hate us. You know, you, you want me to feel safe, but you know, you had the pulse nightclub shooting and the guy flat out said that his religion felt that the most peaceful thing that he could do for us was to eradicate us. So we, we need to, to create cohesion and community, not division and forcing your beliefs on people is just going to, that's just going to lead to negativity and, and negativity is not the way forward. You know, um, tribalization, you know, just that's, you know, I, I work with a lot of conservatives that they are diehard conservatives won't listen to any arguments, no matter how good it is, what the proof, whatever. And that's just, you know, that's not the way to be, you know, what used to make this country great was the fact that we could compromise, you know, politicians would go into their buildings and they would argue amongst themselves and then they would come out and nobody would win, but everybody would come out with something. And that's what made this country great. So we had the ability to compromise and we, we can't do that anymore. And, and that the pronoun police is, is it's, it's a symptom of that. It's, it's a cause of, of an unwillingness to, to communicate and have open dialogue. You know, and I catch myself all the time, especially on Facebook, you know, I'll get into an argument and, and I'll, I'll sit back and it's like, you know what, I'm being a dick. I'm not, I'm not listening to this person and, and their, their point of view. I'm just arguing for the sake of arguing. And, and that's, that's a real problem. I and mean, people do it all the time, you know, and I try really hard when I find somebody that I disagree with to have that discussion. Uh, but it's hard for me to find people who can do so in a not so negative manner, you know, and, but that's, it's being human, you know, humans are not perfect. We never were, never will be, you know, I mean, there's only one perfect being and he's not here right now. Well, as far as the, uh, the pronoun police, I think is what you, what you called them. I, um, I've only seen pronouns listed in email signatures and social media, but I think it's not a great deal of them, but I think it's all been the exact pronouns that I would apply under any normal circumstances. So that never really affected me. I've never met a person that I've misgendered or misspoken or whatever, mispronounced, whatever the term should be. Uh, yeah. So that's never really been a thing for me, but it seems like it's a colossal concern on social media. So I have misgendered probably three or four people now, um, but they've always been uh, super polite in letting me know that I had done so, you know, and a good example of that was uh, I had a, a friend of mine years and years and years ago, which he wasn't a friend at the time. He was a coworker, but wanted to know what I wanted to be called. And I said, Brandon, and that's not what he meant. He, he meant, you know, what do I prefer? Gay, you know, the F bomb, you know, whatever. And so I was a smart ass, you know? And so I went through, I was like, well, I'm, I'm not, you know, a bundle of sticks. I'm not a French cigarette. So don't call me that. I'm not sciencey. So I really don't care for homo. You know, uh, if I had to pick anything, I prefer queer because it means odd and unusual and that fits me to a T, you know? So, I mean, I can kind of understand the side, the, the point of the pronouns thing. Um, in our industry, it's not really an issue. I don't think, um, 
outside of our industry, you know, and I guess the reason I've seen it and dealt with it more is just because I, I still occasionally, uh, get involved with, with LGBT issues. Um, you know, and like I said, I don't have a problem with it. Uh, I have a problem with people, uh, being forceful about it. I get it that you want to be called something. Um, and honestly, I would agree if, if the point you're, you were making is that, um, social media makes a bigger deal of it than it really is. Um, yeah, I think that it, there's a lot of issues that we face throughout this, this country, this world that are made to be bigger issues than they really are. Um, it depends on what side of the coin you're on and how you're looking at it. You know, um, you know, I've seen where, you know, the right will make a big deal of it. And I've seen where the, the left will make a big deal of it. And the best that I can make of it is it's all propaganda on both sides. You mentioned libertarianism. I'm certainly of that, uh, of that disposition myself, politically, religiously, everything you pretty much said. But uh, one more question <clears throat> regarding these topics. Uh, what state do you live in? I live in Oklahoma now. And I saw on Facebook, I think, you were officially married in 2020. Yes. Was gay marriage recognized before that? Uh, yes, it was. Um, so this is my second marriage. I was married once before uh, in Iowa. Um, I got married in Iowa because it wasn't legal in Illinois. So what ended up happening was my marriage just wasn't recognized in general. And uh, when we came to get a divorce, there was no divorce to get because it wasn't a legally recognized marriage. Um, so I can't remember when it was. I want to say it was like 20, 2010, 2012 was when it became legal somewhere in that area. But I, I really, honestly, I, I never really wanted to get married. I was threatened. He, uh, he forced me to get married. <laughs> gave me an ultimatum he's going to leave me unless i married him and i love him too much to to, to end the relationship so uh, it was uh <laughs> our our wedding proposal was uh was more of a fight than anything i'd come home from the boat and um i had already bought the rings he had already bought rings and uh you know he uh he bullied me into, into it really. Uh, and, uh, you know, we were sitting on the couch and, and he's like, so are we going to get married or what? And, you know, he, we just talked about it a month ago and it's like, for crying out loud, you know, would you give me some time, you know? And, and I just, I, he, I got mad at him and I went to my book bag, pulled the rings out and I threw them at him. I was like, well, if you would just leave me alone for a few weeks and let me fucking propose, you know, I'll propose. And, <laughs> He grabbed his rings and threw them at me. And he's like, well, I was tired of waiting. You're taking forever. You know, so it was, uh, <laughs> it, it was a, the, probably the worst way to propose to each other. But uh, yeah, I, um, I don't know. It's, it's kind of weird. I mean, the I, again, I, I don't really believe the same thing that, that a lot of the gay community does. Do I want um, the same benefits that straight people have? Sure, I do. Um, you know, but most of my childhood, the LGB community, uh, we were different. You know, we, we were proud of the fact that we weren't straight people and that we weren't, you know, breeders, you know, we, we were different, you know, and, um, so marriage to me just seems so foreign. It's like, why, 
why do we need this? Why is this important? You know, because I mean, I had already made my mind up that, you know, it, it takes far more commitment to stay with somebody that you can pick up and leave and take all your shit with you than it does to stay with somebody who's going to get half your pension, half your 401k, half your stuff, take your house, probably get the kids too. in my case, the dog or the cat, you know, I mean, it, I just think it, it takes more commitment, not married, you know? And uh, so, I mean, and that was kind of one of the, the, the big fights that we had about it, you know, uh, it's just that I loved him. And I don't feel like I need a piece of paper to tell, to tell him that. So um, for me, it, you know, I just, marriage gives me the ability to give him insurance and leave everything to him without having to go through a bunch of legal BS. So, I mean, there's good things about it and there's bad things about it. It just depends, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's funny. Cause like, uh, you know, my buddy Jerome, I remember when I got married, he's like, well, welcome to the club. We're, we're now equal. You can lose your shit just as much as I can. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's always, uh, it's always a fun, uh, conceding factor, I guess. Yeah, man. Uh, anything else you'd like to share before we wrap this one up? Uh, no, not really. I, I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, it's been fun. Well, no, and I, I thank you very much for, for again, coming on the show and, and sharing your perspective. I certainly have not had this on the first hundred and however many hundred and something episodes by now, but um, we'll keep in touch, man. Thanks a lot. All right. Thank you. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye. This has been a production of Where You At Studios, LLC.